Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Here we are, Monday morning, Mitch yeah. and Murray, <laughs> Triple M. <laughs> love it. So yeah. it's actually four M's, Monday morning. Monday morning. Just a alliteration poet over here. And we also have the same initials. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. It's very confusing. The MLML Monday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Keeps on going. Maybe we should change the name of the podcast from banter to just ML. Just like 17 M's in a row. Yeah. Mm. It'd be very esoteric. We're like, what's this ML? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, look, I'm not sure how much banter really explains what the podcast yeah, is, but I don't know how many, how much titles explain anything is with TV shows and mm. movies, podcasts. Yeah. I think it's, I think officially it's the Center Drill podcast. The yep. Center Drill podcast? Yeah. I think, you know, it says it on the box. It does. It explains enough that we're from the centre yeah. and we're a podcast. Yeah. There was, um, I, I don't know if you ever used to watch the show Arrested Development. I haven't seen it, but I heard of it. Yeah. So for those who don't know, super rich family who are, um, essentially their dad is just really successful in, um, yeah, making housing developments. And it turns out that he was building some housing developments for Saddam Hussein. This is quite a few years ago now, obviously. Um, so the show is called, oh, so then he goes to prison. So okay. the show's called Arrested Development. Ah, okay. Um, and I never realised that Arrested Development is also a phrase for people who haven't matured because all the children are like adults, but they're not mature. Okay. And then the housing development, he got arrested for it. Arrested ah, Development, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we got we got to be thinking about double, yeah, yeah, double, yeah, double yeah, entendre. Yeah. There you go. Well. It's very clever. Yeah, you know, it's a clever show. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What have you been watching lately? What have you been oh, digging? I don't really watch TV. I watch a lot no. of YouTube. Yeah? What do you watch on YouTube? Uh, Other than cat videos. No, cat you videos. don't watch cat videos. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I found... um, Yeah, I just watch a lot of like, random stuff, like fitness videos yeah. or um, just random Christian clips. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't really have much of it. No. Not very exciting. Watching political videos. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a whole bunch of just... Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually watch much TV yeah. in itself. I yeah. just find I go on YouTube and just randomly watch things and get ideas for, yeah, I like workouts to do or, yeah, little. There's a few like Christians I subscribe to and watch their little like yeah snippets of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Any Christians you digging at the moment? Any shout outs? Ah, uh, so this is the nerd in me. There's a guy called Ted Hildebrandt, mm. and he has a whole bunch of like lectures which. They're pretty dry and boring. Like, <laughs> not gonna lie. So I listen to a lot of them when I'm working out. So, but um, but yeah. Again, the I guess the wonder of technology is that you can listen into. Yeah, what we would pay? Would we pay for an MDiv subject like eighteen hundred bucks a pop? Mm. Get it for free. <laughs> wow. mm. So the latest one's come out was some on Deuteronomy. Mm. I thought, yeah, mm. so I haven't listened to them yet, but. I think I told you I've been doing a night the Bible in ninety days. Yeah, that's How's been that taken going up for you. Yeah, really good. Yeah. I'm a day ahead actually. Oh, look at you, yeah. man! That's like <laughs> some sixteen Bible. chapters ahead. It's like audio audio Bible yeah, yeah, helps yeah. a lot too. Yeah, so, totally. Actually, it's been wonderful. I'm into Leviticus now. Mm. And it's made me timely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's been really um, cool, obviously, with Hebrews yeah. and unpacking Leviticus. There's actually something for people listening in at home. There's something to be said about reading large chunks of scripture. Mm. Gives you a great 
aspect of the meta narrative yeah what's happening probably reading up one chapter a day is you can lose sight of things and i've just like i knew this but rereading genesis and exodus basically in two days i'm like oh man there's just so much connection between the two like yeah. you get the, the narrative just flows so much better into yeah. it and then even get to it through leviticus which is just tough work i have to admit yeah emphasize i've preached through leviticus yeah in previous times but even that, I can see. Oh, like you can see some of the connection, and even some of the laws. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, there's a law about not marrying your sister. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's what Abraham did with Sarah. Hmm. So it's almost like the patriarchs broke Torah, or the the literal parts of Torah, hmm. and it's just, I just find it interesting God's way of even showing like this broken family I've called. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of faith to them, but you can't live the exact same lifestyle as them. It's just, yeah, yeah, hmm. interesting. Well, even Jacob was the same. He married two sisters and yeah. problems like that. So that was kind of a yeah, bit of my time taken up. And obviously baby stuff. That's all. <laughs> what's what's prepping for baby? Well, because Rage isn't like, she's been sleeping a lot, so I've been looking after the kids yeah. more. Yeah. So, yeah. She is growing a human, to yeah, be fair. it's pretty tiring. To be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you probably remember poor M last year in yeah. summer. And yeah, it gets pretty, and, pretty rough near the end. Yeah. Was, um yeah, I um, saw some clip of uh, the old show House the other night and this lady, she's like, I don't get it. I've been exercising. I've been eating healthy. I keep on gaining weight. He's like, you've got a parasite. <laughs> she's like, what? He's like, don't worry. You'll learn to love this parasite. Mm-hmm. You dress up in little clothes, take it on play dates. She's like, what? It's like, you're pregnant. <laughs> and, like, it's a pretty awful comparison. <laughs> but like a baby kind of is this like thing uh, inside of you that's like sucking all your nutrition yes. out. If it wasn't your own flesh and blood, it would be a parasite. It's mm. like very draining to grow a little baby inside you. Have I mentioned this on the podcast? I find it, uh, pregnancy just such an interesting um, like reflection upon the creation of man and woman. Because, hmm. you know, man starts as one and takes out, God takes out his side, and then there's two, and then man and woman become one, and then the mother and the child are one too it's like yeah it's mm, that was fun interesting and then i think i've mentioned before about like childbirth being like the sign of the end so it's very eschatological and just mm. seeing rachel in the final stages just i'm in pain mm. like hips are sore and yeah, yeah, back yeah. sore it's like yeah it's very much how the world is mm. wait just like oh, i just want to get this baby out and mm. so it's like every pregnancy is a little parable living parable of like how god's gonna bring into the world yeah. or something good come so yeah I love that. It's the type of things that I think about. Yeah. No, no, it's good. That was that was quite a journey that we went on right <laughs> now. <laughs> not, no. not, not unlike the journey that we're called to yes, be. Yes, yes. Oh, that's a great segue. Thanks, mate. I was yeah, trying. Yeah. I was trying. Um, really, really cool to get into, I think, probably the passage of Hebrews that a lot of people know quite well mm. um, with the, you know, chapter 10, encouraging people to not forsake meeting together mm. and then kind of going into the hall of faith. Mm. Um, it is kind of one of those ones sometimes when you've got a passage like this where people probably heard a sermon or two or three about Mm. this passage before so it is kind of an interesting sort of question i think going into it where it's like what am i gonna actually pull out what Mm. am i actually gonna focus on this time um but i really liked the sort of uh framework from which the uh the lord of the rings story of going on a pilgrimage and frodo going on a pilgrimage Mm. uh i've got a you know, sort of attempt to scribble down that quote in oh, my notes. But if you've got, got it, it here, there, I've got it here. Perfectly. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
It's just the quote. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Mm. So that's that was Bilbo's quote to Frodo. Mm. And he said, and Frodo says that to Samwise before they yeah. head out of the Shire and into chuck on the ring into Mordor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a really interesting comparison of our faith journey mm. being on a pilgrimage um, because ultimately um, I think, you know, you kind of said even more so for Protestant Christians, it's a real foreign idea um, for us today and definitely something which, for the most part, loses a lot of its its depth and richness mm. in imagery. Um, but I really loved the comparison. I think that ultimately there is something that is deeply ingrained in, as you were just talking about, going through large swathes mm. of Old Testament scripture, ingrained in the Israelites' narrative mm. of, of being sojourners mm. and, and being, you know, people who are looking for a place to call home, people who are on a pilgrimage towards something greater. Mm. Did you want to speak a bit into that and yeah. what we sort of, yeah, get, get from the scripture when we are able to tap into that mm. idea more deeply? Yeah, so one of the things that's unique about Hebrews is he reframes the, the destination. So it's not that physical Jerusalem mm. is the heavenly city or the heavenly country. Interesting. Now, for every Jew, you made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem mm-hmm. once a year. That mm-hmm. was just part and parcel. didn't matter which part of the Roman Empire you're living in, mm. you made that journey. Mm. And what Hebrews is doing is he's reframing how Abraham's journey. He's saying, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, he, he lived in tents mm. in the land of promise. He didn't see that promise come to fruition, but really, really. And this is what I find interesting. We've spoken about this, how I guess the authors understood the Old Testament. He's saying, well, he wasn't looking for this earthly city, but looking for this heavenly city. Mm. And so, as you, yeah, we just mentioned previously, this was like just ingrained in Israelite mm. culture was mm. the, the move of God's people was mm. to be on the move. Mm. And even the tabernacle, yeah. the whole idea of that was that Yahweh's presence was, wasn't was fixed mm. in one location. And ultimately, we do say that in the temple, it becomes more, yeah, more fixed. But that was that's what I love about the Exodus. What I call the space on the courts, the tabernacle, was mm. the idea is that there's no sort of holy place. Mm. God's presence is everywhere. And yeah. when that tents up, that's where his presence is. And you move on and down yeah. the road on no patch of desert, God's yeah. presence is there. And that's, yeah, I guess that great imagery for the Israelites is that there are always people on the move, mm. heading towards the promised land. Mm. And yeah, and even within, when they were within the promised land, there was, yeah, I can't reach past Torah ideas, but it talks about, well, I'll locate a place for you and then, you know, you'll travel up. Because mm. for the Israelites, they didn't meet like we would church necessarily mm. once a week mm. but they would have these times and seasons we'd go to these sacred places mm. and offer worship of Yahweh mm. and so that so that idea of journeying is always part of Israelite mm. psyche mm. and so now the author of Hebrews is framing it to more of a spiritual pilgrimage yeah they, not, we're not walking towards say a physical location mm. which I think us we lose that just the significance oh okay Jerusalem's not where we're headed it's like yeah you're headed to Jerusalem but it's a heavenly Jerusalem Mm. and that's the language which will rather revelation and so it means that all Christians doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile Mm. can head to that same location that's that's where we're headed as God's people it's 
And I have to give a little like asterisk. When he talks about heavenly city, city yeah. without foundations or heavenly country, it's not talking about just going up into the sky. It's talking about heaven coming down to earth. Sure. And that's that. Yeah, what, what Revelation would call the new heavens and mm. the new earth. And so mm. Hebrews is, yeah, it's easy to read that. And so I think, ah, yeah, that's talking about going up in the sky and living mm-hmm. up in the sky with God. And it's like, no, no, that's actually about it coming down to yeah. earth and us being in presence with God. Mm-hmm. And and if you kind of doubt what I'm saying, read through Hebrews because Hebrews chapter 2 talks about the yeah. sun being heir over everything. Yeah. And that quotes in chapter 2, Psalm 8. Yeah. What is man? Are you mindful of him? Yeah. And Jesus being that man having dominion over all the earth. And that's yeah. been the intention of Scripture is to go back to the intention of Eden. Mm. So. Yeah. I mean, you even kind of mentioned on Sunday the image of uh, heavenly Jerusalem coming down is one that is, you know, very prevalent in mm. Revelation. This is the image that we get that it's something coming down, which is this interesting idea that we um, <clears throat> look at a lot um, on banter, but I think it's oh. just important to constantly come back to it because I think we can, uh, yeah, we, we've been conditioned in a lot of ways in our spirituality to live dualistically to Mm. believe that you know the spirit and the flesh are completely separate uh when in reality the idea is that heaven meets Mm. earth not that we arrive at Mm. heaven that there's this this coming together this Mm. this almost recommunion as well which Mm. is really interesting Mm. um i wanted to just Back, backtrack yep. for a second because I think that it's really important as we're looking at this idea of this pilgrimage to a heavenly mm. Jerusalem um, is ultimately playing off the idea of the pilgrimage that the Israelites and Jews were doing to Jerusalem. Mm. Could you quickly just give us a bit of an idea? What would have been the significance of that pilgrimage for those Jews who were traveling to Jerusalem each year? What what was sort of the expectation? What were they doing once they arrived? What was this whole thing actually about? Because I think it is so foreign yeah, to us. Yeah, so um, Passover was a big one. So when Jesus cleanses the temple, yeah. that's around that. Passover period and obviously the Passover that's the beginning of the ultimate journey the exodus that's it history of the Israelites fleeing from Egypt and so by going into Jerusalem in a sense the Jews were reliving that night of the Passover they were remembering Yahweh's great moment of salvation and when Mm. they were his chosen people yeah Uh, and Jerusalem well actually what's cool we can take another step back is We've encountered the mysterious figure of Melchizedek, mm. king, of, king and priest of Salem. Yeah. And if Salem is what people think the site of the old Jerusalem, that's even more significant was that it's tied in with, uh, yeah, way back in Genesis that there was this city with this holy king priest who becomes a template of what God's Messiah will be. Mm. And David, when he actually conquers Jerusalem from the Jebusites, mm. it's seen as this significant place and that's it's in second samuel i think can't remember top of my head but like basically the jebusites think that jerusalem they can't take it it's impossible they kind of mock david and he goes up and conquers the city and it's this big feat and it becomes the site of yeah where the where the temple is so worship of yahweh and you read a lot of the psalms that jerusalem is just seen as this this sacred holy city it's Mm. where yeah and i guess to being the site of the temple and, and this is, yeah, I guess the complexity, I think that the biblical authors knew that God's presence was over all the yeah. earth, but the temple was like where I guess the manifest presence of that 
was. Sure. And so by going into the temple, there was this reenactment of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And if you... Because the tabernacle, the tabernacle and the temple are quite similar in design. Like you got the got the outer court where they offered sacrifice and you got the sort of holy place and you got the holy of holies. And mm. each step reminds you of like God's holiness and it becomes less and less people can get in there. Yeah. And particularly the holy of holies, it's surrounded by this curtain with cherubim stitched into it. And the Ark of the Covenant's got the cherubim over there, mm. which reminds us of Genesis. And so it's this reenactment of Eden, people being like walking with God mm. as they did in the garden. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the significance of Jerusalem was yeah. this just place where God's presence was there directly yeah. manifested. Yeah. Um, so for the Jews, it's the, the beacon of hope for them. Yeah. And I suppose we spoke about last week, this idea of um, Jesus being a new and ultimate tabernacle mm. and this idea that the Holy Spirit, as it dwelt in the tabernacle mm. and in the temple, then dwelt in Jesus. Mm. And then we see, you know, at Pentecost in Acts that the Holy Spirit comes on each person and there's these, you know, tongues of fire that are upon mm. them, which, um, yeah, I've always understood to be a manifestation of God's presence in each person. Mm. And Paul very much plays on that. It's kind of a fascinating concept because we still recognize um, as Hebrew says you know do, do not forsake meeting together mm. keep on encouraging yep. one another and all the more as the day approaches and then mm. we have this kind of in some ways it's it's the the tricky thing of what happens when we start dealing with metaphor <laughs> mm. because we're like okay cool we are meeting in a tabernacle mm. where God's presence is Um, But then we are also tabernacles and God's presence is in us. Um, How do we rectify this idea that we, through Christ's blood Mm. um, and through the Holy Spirit now being made available to all of us, are our own tabernacles? But Mm. then there's still a need to meet together in a tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's a fascinating yeah, thing. It like it could very easily be an argument for an individualistic sort of um, self-focused faith, mm. um, which I think can happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, where do we kind of come into? I guess it kind of falls ultimately into this this warning. Yeah, right. That's that's, that's this the, reminder. Yeah, and both warnings in Hebrews, it really is tied in with. That's in a sense, people like wandering away is very easy. Yeah. And it's, it's not in the book of Hebrews at all, but like the analogy of a sheep mm. wandering off. Like when Jesus talks about the, the you know, the 99 and go looking for the, the one sheep. Mm. That one sheep's very vulnerable and isolated. And when you're vulnerable and isolated and away from a Christian community, that's when discouragement begins to set in. That's mm. where the difficulties yeah. of following through in your faith is. Yeah. And that's what, and that's the whole point of him talking about, you know, it's like, hey, like we'll take a few steps back. He's like, therefore, this is verse 19. So all that stuff, we're talking about blood of Jesus being greater than animals and yeah, tabernacle yeah. and all that. So all that, all that theology, quite dense theology comes this, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, um, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a sincere heart and ensure it with the assurance that faith brings because we've had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Uh, and our idea is like, hey, like we, we have this confidence to draw near to God because we've been cleansed of our sin, we've been washed, we've been forgiven, and let's hold unswervingly to the hope we confessed. 
and yeah, and let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works. And that's that idea there is like we actually need each other to be spurring one another on. And when and the reason why we don't abandon meeting together is that you can't spur one another on mm. if you're not meeting together. Mm. And I think that's the I think of the persecuted church, that's yeah, the challenges of believers. It's one of their greatest blessings is oh, I know people praying for me. Mm. That's really wonderful because mm. I'm isolated and alone. Mm. And it's yeah, it's like all life we're not created it's not good for man to be alone. Mm. We're created to be in community. That's yeah. that cliche yeah. cliche expression is. Yeah. And so yeah, I guess that is that funny is is that tension? Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have God within us, but we need to be in community. God yeah. didn't call us to yeah. be a lone Christian alone. No. Oof. Yeah. And that and that's then that's the danger if you're not meeting together. Which is what he draws from is that Yeah, he goes, Let let's not abandon our meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but mm. encouraging one another even more so because you see the day drawing near. Mm. And that's that warning is that technical word for day and the day of judgment mm, capital d yeah d yeah yeah capital d you know it's like the, yeah. the it's sometimes called the parousia yeah. the arrival mm-hmm. and i mentioned it very briefly on sunday for the day of the lord in the old testament was good for the righteous mm. bad for the wicked mm. and similar here mm. and it's like we'll, we'll keep on going keep on meeting together because you need to yeah keep on walking along that mm. narrow road to use Jesus mm. imagery yeah until the day approaches he can't sort of fall yeah. off the track yeah yeah i think it's something even really stunning in the fact that that moment at pentecost where the holy spirit falls on each of the believers they're there together mm. <laughs> and it's in that community i know that um yeah you um can sort of in some ways start to muddy the waters by using too many analogies but mm. um i always really love the analogy of us each being a coal <laughs> And as we come together in the fire yeah. on a Sunday or, yeah. you know, during the week at a small group, you know, you heat back up mm. in the fire. And as you pull a coal out, you know, you can kind of push it against things and, and set other mm. things alight a little bit, but it will start to cool down. And it's only when you throw it back in the fire with all the other coals that it can kind of, you know, reignite again. Mm. Um, obviously, there are limitations to that analogy, yeah. but I really like that yeah. analogy. I think it's really powerful. And- I think especially too for Christians that are under like pressure, yeah. persecution, the yeah. importance of actually gathering and meeting is even more paramount. It's, well, it's a very different time now. You can Google, people have online church they go to yeah, and so connect that way. But yeah, for those that are persecuted, there's something about camaraderie under fire. Mm. I think even like soldiers talk about, mm. like, it's this weird tension that a lot of soldiers don't like. The killing or the post-traumatic stress, but saying about the brotherhood of being soldiers together, mm. their shared trauma of it binds yeah. them together. Yeah, and to a lesser extent, I said it with group exercise classes. The the trauma <laughs> of you know going through these like, well, I think I like true grit. Yeah, like it yeah, was know, tough, but like it's sort of like oh, that was so worth it. It's fantastic, yeah, even though I'm like, yeah, my legs are in agony. I can barely breathe. You're covered in mud. It's like oh, that's fantastic because you did yeah. this shared experience together, yeah. and that's. But when you're being persecuted, there's a yeah, it's something that no one else can understand. Yeah, and even more so, Christians is you. Yeah, well, Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who. That's kind of tapping into next week's stuff, mm. but like, he was the one who suffered the shame of the cross. Mm. 
and has been glorified in the same way he's sort of set a template for us mm. that when we suffer it's like oh it's actually not shameful it's what mm. Jesus did so yeah, yeah, yeah. keep on persevering yeah and going and Yes, because as he says, and look, again, this warning, it's similar to the one in chapter 6. I won't go into it too much in depth. But yeah, if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sin is left for us, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. So, mm. Yeah, look, some people will read that and think, oh, it's this amount of sin. Oh, have I committed that sin? Uh, and the context is helpful. It's about the sin of apostasy. So it's rejecting Jesus mm-hmm. completely. So mm-hmm. those that have come into the Christian community and said, no, nah, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, if you want to re-pack those sort of ideas, listen, it was two weeks ago we talked about that. It wasn't there. So yeah. it's two, two banches ago. But the idea there, so the, sort of the summary version, it's not just, oh, I did this sin, now I'm in danger of, losing my salvation mm. uh, the context is about rejecting jesus which is what the whole letter is about don't yeah. reject jesus and yeah so yeah the sinner that is which makes sense that's the sin that's yeah. unforgivable when you reject jesus like, yeah, yeah yeah um you kind of speak about this um this warning sandwich a little bit this mm. kind of uh within this uh passage comfort mm. terrifying warning and then comfort um, and you kind of spoke on Sunday how it's sort of supposed to put the fear of God in you almost mm. a little bit, paraphrasing, but yeah, that, yeah. this kind yeah, of idea. Yeah. Um, and it is kind of really fascinating because I recognize um, that the culture who was, you know, hearing and, and reading this uh, letter had some very different um, preconceptions and relationships with um, mm. judgment and damnation um, and sort of eternal punishment. Mm. Um it's a pretty um, countercultural thing to talk about today. It's a pretty um, offensive thing for many people mm, yeah. to to talk, yeah, to talk yeah. about today. This you know idea of um, burning and, and judgment and punishment. Um, it's very um, difficult. Um, to present this sort of imagery and ideas in a in a modern context, uh, I think you and I have spoken about mm. before. You know this idea of um, you know someone standing on a milk crate in the middle of CBD, yelling through a megaphone, "You're going to burn in hell." It's probably not the great intro to the good news, mm. right? Like, like, hold on, you're supposed to be an evangelizer. That literally yeah. means like a messenger of the good news. Yeah. Um, how do we um, engage with scripture such as this? Because it's not like this passage in Hebrews 10 is, is a standalone idea. Mm. It's all throughout scripture. Um, how do we present it? How do we engage with it um, to, yeah, communities, cultures that repel against mm. it, who immediately shut off? Um, yeah. How, how do we as modern readers mm. engage with engage this text. imagery? Yeah, um, it's a wonderful question. I'll, I'll attempt to answer it the best I can. I like with for me judgment. It's about reframing the purpose of judgment. So uh, this this part from Hebrews ten is probably, probably riffing off Hebrews oh no, Hebrews Isaiah sixty six mm-hmm. verse fifteen, which says, "See, the Lord is coming with fire, and his chariots are like whirlwind. He'll bring down his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire." For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people. 
and many will be many will be those slain by the Lord. Ah, again, it's really terrifying imagery, mm. but it's against wicked people, and mm. so judgment. It's good news for those that are under oppression. Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've mentioned it before. Miroslav Volf. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't believe in God's wrath. Went through the Bosnian War and was like, if God is not angry at this, He is not worthy of worship. Mm. And so, looking at God's judgment in that sense, well, God is a God of justice. Yeah. And about restoration. Yeah. And for me, judgment is deeply comforting mm. yeah, because it's like, well, there's some pretty wicked men and women who have yeah. lived throughout in the past and who will live in the future until mm. Christ returns. Mm. And so them getting their canuppets is quite mm. a, a comforting thing. Mm. Um, yeah, we see it all the time. Corrupt politicians who get off, like just legal technicality or just mm. bribe people. And God doesn't oversee that. And so the image of fire... Like, like say Isaiah 66, probably a bit of metaphor there. It's sure. tapping into some, probably not so literal about God coming down with, you know, flames of fire, but the idea of fire is purifying. Yeah, so which I think is also a thing yes. that we can miss. <laughs> yeah, is that yeah. it? So Solomon and Gomorrah, obviously, it was burnt up. Yeah. But fire has a, a purifying element. And yeah. one Peter talks about the earth being burnt up, and the idea is not that, God will drop a nuclear bomb and explode the earth. It's fire will come through and purify. Mm. And particularly like Levitical laws, fire had that purpose. Yeah. It was to purify. Yeah, it was sure. to cleanse. And so this fiery judgment that God brings, um, yeah, it's about him purifying, about mm. removing evil and suffering. Mm. And so that's how I approach like modern people mm. with like these images of fire and yeah. brimstone. It's like, well... Yeah. And I think I've mentioned it before, Revelation, because it's apocalyptic and drawing on some mm-hmm. of these Old Testament passages, these mm-hmm. metaphorical images, and as well as Sodom and Gomorrah, that's a bit of a template for what yeah. happened to God's enemies. Yeah. It's like, well, what does hell look like? Mm. It's like, well, it might have fire in it. Mm. It might not. But that's not the point. The point is it's mm. bad for wicked people. Mm. And so yeah, it's about, about reframing that to looking at mm how this is actually a good thing that God is dealing with mm. evil and suffering and for those that reject him there's oh, look it is offensive look at the end of the gospel is offensive like people think that their sins aren't that bad ah you know I'm, I'm a good person mm. in God's eyes sin well look Adam and Eve committed the sin that my children commit every single day don't do that ah I, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty small, but it's mm. enough to disrupt this whole world. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, yeah, the magnitude of sin is very, very profound in God's eyes. And just the holiness of God just cannot deal with mm. sin. So, mm. yeah, for me, it's about just seeing it as a positive thing, mm. like God removing evil mm. out of his good world. So mm. that's how I'd reframe it, though, not necessarily mm. going, yeah, I would never start with you're going to sin, you're going to burn in hell, mm. but... Mm. Just reframing that language about yeah. If it comes up about judgment, just being like the title of a book. Yeah, you're you're going to burn for eternity. You should read this. Uh, And look, look, John the Baptist. It was his mo. Yeah, he used, but it was for a culture that that was culturally acceptable. Yeah, Yeah. look, it probably did offend some of them. I think the Pharisees probably like being told you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but. Yeah, and so that that's so it's not watering down the gospel. So contextualization, it's the technical missions term that you use to 
present the gospel in a way that removes the unnecessary offense to a culture. It's good. And yeah. yeah, so a great example is in Islamic circles, you don't use Jesus was the son of God because that has negative connotations for, for Islamic people. And, and similar for, say, secular Westerners, there's elements that maybe not focus on that part because it will cause unnecessary offense. You present parts of gospel in a way that people understand mm-hmm. and then as they grow more understanding then you can start to yeah. unpack yeah. that yeah. and so yeah particularly as a post-Christian culture we need to contextualise more and more yeah. gospel in a way that people can understand Yeah, and then start to yeah so start at the base level they have an understanding and then start to really yeah go through the depths of scripture more and the cultural context around some of these more challenging verses mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is um, a tricky one because I think we can all kind of get behind the idea that a warlord or somebody who, you know, Mm. is a slave trader or something. um, Yeah. It can experience great judgment. Um, But ultimately, like we're talking about people also who are just essentially not believing in Jesus. Mm. Like yeah, these, these are the people who are also experiencing this. So I think mm. that it does come down to first recognizing, well, hold on. <laughs> mm. I think we can all agree that judgment isn't, you know, bad 100% of the time. Mm. Judgment is a good thing. And, you know, we really focus on a world where like justice, right? Mm. Justice is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so that God is the bringer of justice. That's a good thing. Mm. And I think, yeah, understanding um, almost in ourselves that contextualizing the gospel um, isn't watering it down. It isn't weakening it. Mm. Um, it's actually doing exactly what pretty much all of the apostolic fathers mm. did. It's doing what Jesus did, mm. speaking to each people, each people group uh, in a way that they would understand, in a mm. way that they would receive. Um, it is, I think, a really big question um, for the next generation of the church mm. um, because I think that it's at a point now where we recognize that um, the narrative that you're going to burn in hell for eternity is not the right place to start. Mm. But I think there's too many Christians who think that that still is the perfect place yeah. to start. And it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> Where did Jesus start? Yeah. <laughs> he started by feeding, by healing, by loving, by reaching out to the ostracized, um, by sharing the love of God. Um, and I think that, yeah, there's a lot to learn from looking at contextualization and looking at how Jesus started conversations. And it's interesting too, the conversations around hell with Jesus, and Jesus talks more about hell than heaven, usually around with the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah, it really gets stuck into them. The people who are already religious. Yeah, people that knew it. So, yeah, almost like, I guess, for lack of a better word, the insiders, the Jews that shouldn't know a new Torah. Yeah. Inside out, back to front. Yeah. Really sticks it to them. Yeah. Because they should know better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really even interesting. Just in class, uh, Molly been going through one Corinthians, and like Paul says, like you're not meant to judge people outside the church. Like you judge yeah, people within the church. church. Like that's yeah. who you're called to judge. Mm. And even then, I think you know it's through love, <laughs> right? Mm. It's, it's in or this even desire. Spelling, like, because he talks about spelling the evil from amidst of you. But the point is actually about love. He's like, hey, like, kick him out for a bit so that they can repent and then come back. Yeah. So it's not about because you hear like. Although probably not really an issue in Australia, but like those crazy kind of Christian cults that will just excommunicate someone because they did this. And sure. they use it as like a tool of fear. Well, yeah. Paul is using it as a tool of love. And it's like a last resort. It's not, yeah. oh, you sin once, we kick you out. It's a, 
Like this guy's not repenting. From, what's he doing? He slept with his father's stepmom. I can't remember the exact. I think he slept yeah, with his stepmom. It's kind yeah, of unclear, yeah. but he slept with his father's mother. Yeah, it's or father's like, wife. I yeah, say. it's not father's like mother. it'd be grandma. Like, well, yeah, it's, but he's like remains unrepentant. Yeah, and that's the key. And thing. he's flaunting it's, it. Flaunt, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, like you can't have this guy kick him out. And then you read two Corinthians, and something must have happened to that guy because we kind of miss the in yeah. between one Corinthians two Corinthians something happened, but the yeah, guy yeah, yeah. obviously felt guilty or terrible and yeah. Like, yeah let him back in like yeah if there's a sense of repentance yeah 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 uh, yeah and obviously there's a sense of judgment that can be mm. you know pointing people back to a yeah, totally. like state yeah yeah no look it's mm. i think it's it's one of the big questions i think for our age that so many people don't even think about because i think mm. for me like you know I, I i come from a uh non-christian household mm. so like i you know see what it looks like from the outside a bit like i have you know not a completely unique perspective but i have a unique perspective Mm. to other people who've maybe grown up in christian households Mm. where yeah like honestly i saw christianity more for uh, characterized by hate (laughs) to be Mm. honest and judgment and fear uh rather than love Mm. and inclusion uh and healing i think like the um the big question that you sort of left us with at the end of sunday was ultimately Mm. in all of this how do we act in a way and live that is different from our non-Christian neighbor. And it's kind of a big question because I think so often we want to be looking at ways that our, our lifestyles are different, (laughs) but also not completely alienated. Mm. What does it look like to be living as a Christian in a, in a different and set apart way within a context still of Sydney? Mm. That's, comes back to that question of the, the pilgrimage mindset and as I said before we were recording the podcast Hebrews 10 really flows well into Hebrews 11 mm. and when he's talking about remember those days when you know, your, your possessions were confiscated you were getting thrown into prison you, you did it joyfully because you recognize that well you she's going to have better possessions you're going to inherit something greater than what you have right now so don't throw your confidence in and for for me, that, that's that idea is like, well, what you have here and now in that one Peter language, it is going to be burnt up. Mm. It's going to be burnt up, purified, mm. and something greater will replace that. And so you'll start to... Oh, there's an old hymn. It's, uh, I can't remember how it goes, but it says, and the things on earth will go strangely dim in the mm. light of his glory and grace. I think it's called Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. That's mm. the name of the hymn. Mm. But th- that idea... Yeah, that pilgrimage mindset is like, well, ultimately, yeah, cool. Like, it doesn't matter what I have in this time and space. I have Jesus. Mm. And here in a very, very affluent part of Sydney, that can be challenging because we can start to lose sight on eternity Mm. and begin to think that this is what life is. That's very easy to happen. Yeah. Um, I remember reading about a persecuted um, Iranian. He said he went to the he was in prison there for years and anyway finally got released and went to the US and he's like oh it's much harder to be a Christian in the United States than in Iran which for us we're like what how does that make sense but he said it's just the world you get so sucked in and that's the that's the danger we have here in the West is that we can just get sucked into the here and now look I'm guilty of it you can actually begin to forget oh there's actually like yeah that this this is the, the old earth God's got a new earth in store mm. for us and mm. begin to think that this is sort of yeah. 
the here and now is all there is. And yeah. so I've got to make the best of it. Mm. And I've become a little bit yeah, secular in our thinking. Because if you don't believe in God, you've got to make the best of this lifetime. Yeah. And so we can get sucked into that very easily. Or a pilgrim. Well, pilgrims naturally live very lightly. Yeah. Like if you're living out of a tent, you yeah, pack lightly. It's good. It's good. And so... And that's not saying that we shouldn't... Like, I know some Christians refuse to buy houses. It's not saying not have that stuff. That's, But it's holding them loosely. Yeah. And that's the key to all of this. It's a pilgrim mindset. It's like, you may not necessarily be on pilgrimage. Yeah. The Celtic church, they love pilgrimage. They go traveling around left, right, and center across the United Kingdom and up to the North Pole. Yeah. Yeah, we're not necessarily called to do that, but we can, in our little square radius of the house we live, the jobs we have, yeah, be still having that pilgrim mindset. It's like, well, mm. we've got to travel lightly mm. because yeah, this is mm. all very temporary, and mm. I have better possessions coming ahead anyway. Mm. And yeah, and, that, and that's what I love with that connection with t- chapter ten mm. and eleven is that yeah, these guys were celebrating initially the their loss of freedom, the loss mm. of their possessions. It's all good. They were the ones, because he quotes from Habakkuk, the righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I take no pleasure in him. He goes, well, you know, you guys won't like that. Now you're shrinking back. Mm. You need to be like the heroes mm. of the faith. Look at their lives. Look at their example. They, mm. yeah. And, he, and he's quote about faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. Mm. And it's like, yeah, these guys didn't see what God's promises were, but they still lived that way. And mm. We need to do that too. Mm. Which is hard to do. Particularly, you know, yeah. in the West because we value yeah, science and reason. Mm. The, and so what can be proved? Yeah. And also concept. comfort, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like so much of our end game is to try to create as comfortable of lives mm. as possible. And yeah, the issue, if you have a comfortable life and that, that even goes back to intellectual comfort Mm. of being certain of, you know, having some sort of, um, almost superiority and comfort in, oh, I know how everything in the universe works. Right. I mean, that's a complete, you know, falsehood. Um, Mm -hmm. but it all comes back to like, I think comfort a lot of the time. Mm. And if we are so comfortable that we've made heaven on earth mm. and I use heaven, yeah, you know, no, no, no. let's, let's call it a lowercase H, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, it is just a shadow of the thing which is to come, mm. which is the new Jerusalem coming down. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that there is something just so beautifully interconnected in living a comfortable life where you then become apathetic about your mm. faith and living an uncomfortable life where it is constantly reminding you that this isn't the end. Mm. This isn't the, we haven't arrived yet because the journey as a pilgrim is uncomfortable, mm. right? Because yeah. the flesh is weak, but it's waiting and, mm. and, and having our eyes set on, yeah, um, so. yeah the day approaching. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I encourage everyone to become spiritual pilgrims mm-hmm. and perhaps too you become physical pilgrims. For me, there's spaces that are like cathedrals for me. And mm-hmm. so on Saturday, yeah, I haven't done this run. It's near my parents' place. Um, but I just felt like, oh, I need to go. It's been 14 years since I did the trail run. But yeah. it was like, for me, it was like going through a cathedral, mm-hmm. a bush cathedral. It's beautiful. And for me, that was a very, these, these sort of places um, in the mountains where I grew up, I see as really sacred, mm-hmm. almost holy spaces for me. That's where I go on pilgrimages yeah, in beautiful. these like bush trails and 
being able to do that for me is like, I don't know, like I know God's presence everywhere, but like, I know these yeah. spaces for me is where yeah. I feel his presence even more. And so even, I think we can all probably think of places that's like, oh, I felt God's presence mm. in this spot and perhaps visiting them from time to time, go on a bit of a physical mm. pilgrimage mm. and just encounter God some mm. more to be reminded. Let's mm. travel light. Yeah, mm. I love that. Even just being reminded that God is so much bigger than the tiny suburb that we live in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's one of the, that's why I love being in the bush. You feel very small. Yeah. yeah. I ran down this place called Valley Road. And you just see just the mountains, like the blue mountains. And you're like, gosh, there's a lot of, like really humans have tapped in just a tiny portion of this place. There's a lot. And that's just a fraction of Australia. And you think about the world and you're like, yeah. like, And then the universe. Yes. (laughs) You feel pretty small. And that's, that's a good thing. So love that. Love that. Mm. Well, we are uh, moving on to the next kind of chapter in, a, mm. well, not really, because you already kind of, you dipped your toe into chapter 11 this uh, last Sunday, but kind of, yeah, continue to move through chapter 11. Um, and uh, yeah. So we're going to look at the last two verses in chapter 11, yep. 40, and then chapter 12. Great. Because anytime there's a therefore, I feel like we need to have a little bit of the, yeah, <laughs> a little bit of preceding context so yeah. you know what the therefore is. Yeah. Because, you know, therefore is as a result of this. And you're like, well, what's the result of what? Why are we? And yeah. Like, well, yeah. 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 No, totally. Um, and what are we looking at in looking chapter 12? At, we're looking at, um, because we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, we need to throw off every weight and, mm. you know run the race set before us. And so mm. I will give a little hint. There will be some props mm. on Sunday. Two mountains? Uh, not quite. Maybe. Maybe a bit of, maybe a bit of dress up. Ooh, so, okay. Anyway. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Mitch bringing out the dress ups yeah, on Sunday. So can't wait. Can't yeah, wait. Like, it can be... Yeah, look, hopefully it's... Uh, Hopefully it's memorable, not distracting. Hey, props. I'm, I'm, I'm always keen for memorable props and costumes. <laughs> Get amongst it. Can't wait. We're looking forward to uh, it. Yeah, and, uh, so thanks um, for the message and no, thanks for the chat today. No, thank you. We'll see you all Sunday. <laughs> Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.